Hello, all you film exiles out there in the cinematic wastelands. Gather around the campfire for another episode of ENN Exiles Network News. ENN is your favorite entertainment news podcast, where a panel of film exiles chop it up on the week's most interesting news topics. Today, we have ENN number 12, The Dirty Dozen. And I'm joined by my partners in crime, my fellow renegades, my fellow exiles, Christian. What's up, guys? It's good to be back after uh, traveling for a week for work. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we missed you last week. Uh, I missed you, too. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Thank you. I, I feel a warm and fuzzy inside. Everything's good. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. We're also joined by Paul. Hey, guys. And uh, I echo those sentiments. It's nice to have you back, Christian. Uh, although it was great having Manu last week as well. Uh, there's uh, there's something about having the three of us together that uh, that's starting to feel uh, right. Yeah, yeah. The three amigos. <laughs> it was a good movie. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> no, no, in there, hey, come on. I really like it. Come on. It was funny. It was funny. <laughs> All right. So this is the rundown of topics that we're going to talk about this week. We're going to talk about Tim Miller versus James Cameron by way of Terminator Dark Fate. We're going to talk about Netflix saving a historic monumental theater in New York. We're going to talk about John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and Michelle Rejuan for Star Wars going forward. We're going to talk about Ben Affleck's uh, next project called King Leopold. It doesn't even have a name, but it's about King Leopold. We're going to talk in our coming soon section about three trailers, The Last Full Measure, Antebellum, and Call of the Wild. So... Here we go. The Tim Miller versus James Cameron saga has gotten a little bit bloodier than we actually thought. Now, if you remember, we did talk about some of James Cameron's quotes. He said something about them having disagreements while making Dark Fate and there being blood on the walls. Well, in a recent interview, Tim Miller went even further and he ended up saying that he would not work with James Cameron anymore. Here are some of his comments. He said, the lights come up and there was a lot of stuff that I had to cut that Jim thought was important and scenes we'd shot that we'd had disagreements on. But the lights come up and Jim says, we've got a movie. So he's alluding to Jim's, uh, large looming figure over the movie he went on to say i can say no but it has nothing to do with whatever trauma i have from the experience it's more that i just don't want to be in a situation again where i don't have control to do what i think is right i just got an email last week from jim who said i know we clashed a little bit i put it all down to two strong creative people with differences of opinion and i think it made the movie better i'll be back in la in december Let's go have a beer. The things, then he goes on to say that the things people seem to hate the most about the movie were things I can't control. And he said, I can't control that you didn't like Genesis or you felt betrayed by Terminator 4. I can't help that. So all these comments, I have quite a bit to say, but I'll you know let you guys take the stage first. Christian, what do you think about tim miller's comments about his working relationship with james cameron and uh, terminated dark fate you know there is something to be said about james cameron's ego i think it's legendary uh you know we we've heard about that a couple of times and and when it, whether it was you working in terminator 2 terminator 1 we heard of, i believe if you read back you can see there's been a couple of uh like Kate Winslet from Titanic has made a couple of comments and everything. So he's notorious. He tries to get the most out of his actors. He tries to get the most out of the people that that's working on his movies. He's a perfectionist, a visionary. I like almost every one of his films. I think they're great, mm -hmm. but I believe he can be a little tough to work with. And I believe this is a situation where you have two egos that were smashing up against one another. This isn't the first time 
you know, Miller had a couple things to say when it goes back to Deadpool 2 as well. There's a quote yeah. from him. He said in a quote, I, it became clear that Ryan Reynolds wanted to be in control of this franchise. You can work that way as a director quite successfully, but I can't. I don't mind having a debate, but if I can't win, I don't want to play. That's hmm. what he said. So, uh, you know, he definitely liked James Cameron wants to be involved in almost every single creative process. I think he has a direction of which way he wants these movies to go and what he wants to do. And now it seems like he's kind of coming out a little bit and defending saying, well, you know what, if you didn't like it, that's not me. I look at me. I didn't, you know, that wasn't my creative. That, that was James. James wanted mm -hmm. to do that. So I, I do believe that this is just the, in my opinion, this is two big egos smacking up against one another. Neither one is going to budge. You got nitroglycerin and TNT. It probably was a match made in hell <laughs> from the beginning, <laughs> not a match made in heaven. So it was going to be difficult. Tim Miller probably needs in the future to work on a project where he has full creative control and he has the final say. I don't necessarily yeah. think this was a good combination to begin with. That's just me. Okay, Paul, what do you think? Yeah, to uh, to echo some of what uh, what Christian said. Um, obviously, in hindsight, I think it sounds like it it wasn't a great match. Um, it sounds like you've got two guys with egos. Uh, Cameron, obviously, known for his, um, and uh, and Miller, uh, you know, through some of his comments, shows shows a bit of the same. Uh, at first, I thought that was a little bit of hyperbole, and obviously, there is some hyperbole when they're talking about uh, blood being scrubbed off the walls, and it sounds like they're still. Uh, like things have calmed down and they're, uh, you know, they're still certainly civil and, uh, you know, with each other. But, um, yeah, obviously there there's issues. And, uh, you know, it, I, what, one of the things that surprised me from this article was that uh, they, they made a point of saying that, uh, that Cameron and uh, David Ellison from Skydance had uh, final say. Um, and, and it comes up a few times in this article that uh, that's something that that's very important to Miller. And, and I can appreciate that after you've seen, um, you know, the butchery of, of you know, some of these films that have come out in, in recent years. Um, so I can, I can appreciate why a director would want to have, um, to have final say on their film. And uh, clearly Miller didn't have it in this case. And, uh, you know, as a director, if you're going to, to lose those battles and still have your name on the film, I can see why that would be frustrating. Um, especially when he talks about certain lines of dialogue that were important to him and that, uh, that Cameron felt, uh, felt the need to cut out. So, um, you know, and then, and then it also goes into them talking about uh, trying to figure out the reasons why this didn't work. And I know we've talked about that in the past and they talk about franchise fatigue and um, you know, we've talked in the past about, you know, sci-fi in, in general struggling. Um, so I think there's a combination of all those elements, but um yeah, it was interesting to see that there was the, that kind of conflict, and uh, and obviously these guys are going to be uh, taking a bit of a break from each other. But uh, interestingly <laughs> enough, at the end of the article, uh, you know, David Ellison from Skydance uh, left off with a comment uh, that he'd said to Miller over dinner. Uh, what? Uh, so what are we going to work on next? So mm -hmm. it sounds like Miller will still have some opportunities with uh, with Skydance, and you know, hopefully we see some success for sci-fi going forward. And hopefully that's the kind of stuff that uh, that Ellison's going to be uh, interested in funding you know, going yeah. forward through Skydance. Yeah. Um, personally, for me, there's there's quite a bit to delve into. All right. So let's start with Tim Miller and James Cameron. One, I respect Tim Miller a lot. And as a matter of fact, I always thought it was a poor fit for him to be working as a sub to James Cameron. Because when point. I saw interviews for the film and the whole structure of how they set up their writing room, James Cameron as a producer. James Cameron was definitely the alpha in the situation. It was the alpha dog. But um, I have so much respect for Tim Miller. I know he did Deadpool. That was a creative collaboration between him and Ryan Reynolds. He's also done uh, something with David Fincher. But... Just I've I've listened to him a lot in interviews and I've followed him closely and he's someone who deserves to have his own playground, his own space to do his own thing. So I always thought it was not an ideal situation and not a uh, good use of his talents. What is sad to me to see is that this has become contentious. And the only reason why it's become this contentious is because the movie flopped. If the movie was a success, we would not be talking about all these clashes and all <laughs> these 
That's what happens. It happens. I see it happen in sports a lot. I winning solves everything. Winning solves everything. And he took a big L on this one. So all the things that would normally have been brushed under the rug, you know, came to light. And I felt like James Cameron's first comments about, you know, blood still being scrubbed off the walls and, you know, highlighting that they had created battles. I thought that was throwing Tim Miller under the bus a little bit uh, in terms of, oh, the movie didn't do well. Oh, you know, um, I objected to some things and, you know, we didn't agree, blah, blah, blah. Although he, you know, was a bit political and throwing some nice words there. And I feel like this is a bit of a sort of retort, a comeback at that. And they're both just throwing each other on the bus and trying to, you know, deflect blame and, you know, so it's it's really sad to see this play out in public. I wish that they would have kept this behind closed doors, but they aired their dirty laundry. So here we are talking about it. What I also really don't like is his statement about why people don't like uh, Dark Fate. He said something about how... Um, he can't do anything about, you know, what people you know don't like. I can't control. You didn't like Genesis or you felt betrayed by Terminator 4. I can't help that. And I have news for him. That's very tone deaf. The reason why people don't like at least the, the large uproar I've heard against the movie. I'm not talking about people who didn't go, who weren't interested, are the creative decisions that were made. The creative decisions like turn in... Uh, Skynet into Legion. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I want to say, spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert, like killing uh, John Connor. Uh, spoiler alert, like turning uh, Arnold's Terminator into like a joke kind of comedic character, like um, having the leader of the resistance be an unbelievable character, things like that. So it's not because people were tired of the other films. And I, I'm, I, I'm actually quite happy that he only mentioned um, Terminator 3 and, and <laughs> Genesis because uh, Salvation was... Well, he said, he said Terminator 4, which is Salvation, um, was incredible. So anyway. Anyway. But I think you've raised a good point there, though. It's almost like not being able to read the room. Yeah, right? I mean, it's it, the, all those things that you mentioned as Terminator fans, which I think the three of us are on this pod right now. Those are fundamental changes to the Terminator mythology. And yeah. you can change things. You can definitely do things in a different way and you can take some liberties. But if someone's not going to like it for that reason, I can't blame somebody for not liking it for that reason. I, that's just yeah. me personally. So yeah. I, I think that's just I think tone deaf, like you said, is a perfect that's a good term. Yeah. And I think he's going to have success in the future. I really do. I think that he should go on to make original stuff. If you've seen uh, his Love, Death, and Robots anthology series, you can see that he has a great sci-fi mind. He's really good with that stuff. And I think that if he goes on to make original stuff, he will do really well. He shouldn't be beholden to anyone. He should let his creativity fly free. And I can see great things for him in the future. So... On to the next topic. Let's talk about Star Wars. The Rise of uh, Skywalker is coming out pretty soon. So, you know, the hype is building. There's a lot of Star Wars talk in the air. And people are beginning to, you know, think of the franchise, the bigger picture. You know, what's going to happen next? So, THR reported that, one, they've settled on a director for their next uh, cinematic movie which is coming out in 2022, but they will not be announcing who it is until next year. And they say that uh, producer and Lucasfilm senior VP of live action uh, development and production, Michelle Rejwan, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, who has been very involved in the Star Wars universe. He's the mind behind Clone Wars and Rebels uh, animated TV series. But they're going to have a lot of say over the future of Star Wars, which brings Kathleen Kennedy's future into question. She's had quite a tumultuous time 
And um, I think this is really like interesting because a lot of Star Wars fans do not want her to be in control. So, Christian, let's start with you. What do you think of the reports that Michelle Rajwan, Jean Favreau, and Dave Filoni are going to have a lot to say in the future? And also, this uh, little bit about a director for the 2022 film, what do you think about that news? Who do you think the director can be? What kind of movie would it be? What kind of director do you think they'll be looking for? You know, Star Wars is in an interesting spot right now, and I think uh, we we all know that Star Wars fans are we're we're a funny group. Okay, we we are we're a really funny group, and we are very passionate about the things we like, the things we hate. That oh, we can drive each other and drive the rest of fandom out there crazy. But uh, Kathleen Kennedy is in a weird spot too. I believe her contract's up in 2021, and you know Bob Iger has hinted that there's going to be a bit of a pause after Rise of Skywalker. They're going to chill out for a second, step back, and this could be a little hint at the future, at what's coming, that maybe Kathleen Kennedy is not going to get renewed in 2021. You know, she's had an up-and-down tenure. When you take a look, Force Awakens was really well-received. Star Wars Rebels did pretty well on TV. Star Wars Rogue One was fantastic, but Solo and Last Jedi are divisive from the audience. They really are. Last Jedi divided the audience like crazy. You got people like me that love it and love the direction that Disney is taking it. You got people like Paul that are like, dude, end it. I can't take this anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was just an extremely divisive thing to do. Now you bring in a guy like John Favreau who, you know, Kathleen Kennedy is good. I think she's a good producer. She's not necessarily a visionary. But a guy like John, he kind of is. Now he's directed movies like Elf and he's directed movies like Chef, which are fantastic little movies. But The Mandalorian is just blowing it up. People are loving that show. And he's done The Lion King and he's done a bunch of other things. The first Iron Man from the MCU. John is definitely a Disney guy. He seems to get it. And I, I believe he's the type of visionary that can definitely take the Star Wars franchise to a different area, to a different level than what it is. I don't know if Kathleen's that person. I really don't. And he's got, if these are the two people that he's going to have going with them, I don't know if we know too much about Michelle. I will say that just because we know she's a producer on Force Awakens. She's going to be a producer on Wise of Skywalker. But um, David, on the other hand, David's a different guy. He was uh, head of animation with Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And also he worked on Rebels with Simon Kimber. Clone Wars is very well received by the Star Wars community. Yeah. Rebels, maybe not as much, but there are a couple of episodes on Rebels that really stand out and stand right with Clone Wars. So I am looking forward to this. I think this is really interesting. We know Kevin Feige is supposed to have one movie. We don't know if he's how involved he's going to be. I will end it by saying I have no clue who they're looking for for future directors. So I don't even want to make a guess because I think they still have to figure out Disney likes money. They need to wait until Rise of Skywalker comes out and kind of figure out what they want to do from there. So I'm not even going to make a guess. All right. Paul. I know you have a lot to say about this, so I'm gonna sip my uh, my little drink and just kick back and hear you. Well, go. you know, I I think I think Christian covered a lot of that for me. Uh, so you know, I think I think Christian hit hit the major points, right? We don't know, um, you know, what Kathleen Kennedy's future is after 2021. Uh, I mean, the article itself is a little bit speculative, right? It's quoting course, uh, it's quoting sources as saying that uh, it seems likely that Favreau will have a lot of say over the future of Star Wars. And these same sources are saying that her ideal team, Kathleen Kennedy's ideal team, if she's still there, includes key roles for Michelle Rejwan and Filoni. And um, now I, I'm not as... Uh, I mean, I like Favreau, but I'm not as enthused, uh, perhaps, as as Christian is on him. I don't necessarily see him as a visionary. Um, I liked his Jungle Book movie. I liked his. Uh, I even liked his Lion King movie, um, and and I think his Iron Man movie, his, his first one, was great. Um, but I don't necessarily see him as as visionary. Um, but he's certainly competent, um, and that's. I think that's refreshing right now for Star Wars. If you have a, a competent filmmaker who uh, makes movies that the majority of people uh, at least like, uh, th- that's a step in the right direction. Uh, Filoni is, uh, is well known to Star Wars fans. Um, you know, he's, he's sort of seen as the Lucas protege, and he's uh, seen as the guy that actually knows all the details of Star Wars. So, uh, you know, obviously his input, I think, would be beneficial. I, I, as Christian said, I love the Clone Wars animated series. I'm not a huge fan of Rebels. Uh, there was a handful of Rebels episodes that worked, but um, there was a lot of filler 
uh, a lot of filler in Rebels and a lot of uh, time spent on characters I don't think too many people cared about. Uh, and, and that's always, that's a huge concern for me with Disney going forward. I mean, when you look at their, uh, what they've put out so far, I mean, I, I like Rogue One, but it, it focused on filling in a gap with characters no one knew and tried to make you care about those characters. And uh, it worked to an extent. Um, you know, same thing with Solo. They tried to create new characters in a in a small window. Did you really care about any of the other characters they introduced in that in that movie? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I kind of like Solo more than most, but uh, um, you know, I, I didn't really necessarily care about the the new characters they were introducing. And and once you're done with that film, they're they're kind of gone. So I, I lack a little bit of faith in their ability to to introduce and develop new characters that I'm going to care about. Uh, Ahsoka Tano being the obvious exception in the Clone Wars animated series, because eventually uh, after a, a rough start uh, with the Clone Wars movie, uh, Filoni was able to really develop that character into, I think what's one of the most popular characters amongst uh, maybe more hardcore Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a good thing. And, um, you know, so having his involvement's good. Favreau's competent. Uh, Michelle Rejwan, I really know very little about, to be honest, this is the, uh, I think I maybe heard her name before, but I had no idea that she was a producer on seven and nine and that she was a Lucasfilm senior VP of live action development and production before, you know, before we started looking into this a little deeper. So um, I think the jury's out on her. Uh, Feige, I I hope he's not heavily involved in Star Wars. I I don't want to see that. I'm, uh, as you guys know, I'm, I'm not nearly as enthralled with the MCU as the, uh, as the, the mass general audience seems to be. I don't think he's a, nearly as great as his hype and uh and I, I personally would rather see them go in a different direction for star wars um maybe find someone that actually is a little more uh visionary and maybe a little more of a risk taker and and maybe leans a little less on comedy so um you know o- overall uh favreau and filoni's involvement great michelle rejuan um you know hard hard to say and uh and feige i just i just don't want to hear about it you know so uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll uh i'll leave it at that you All know what's right. interesting as a mcu fan uh, myself i actually agree with you i don't necessarily think i want feige's super involvement in the star wars franchise i like what he's doing in the mcu and he should continue to do that i think star wars is a completely different animal so you got an mcu fan right here that's actually agreeing with you on that Wow. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Christian. Noted, noted and appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let, let me come in and, and see how I can add to what you guys said. Although you've exhausted almost every possibility. What I can say is that um, I kind of agree with Paul about John Favreau. Obviously, he's the headliner of these three. Uber successful, but I think he's quite... Um, a generic kind of filmmaker, a crowd pleaser, plays it safe, makes quality material, but he plays it safe, plays nothing is really expected or unusual or different about the things that he does. The Lion King is a classic example of who Favreau is. When the first Iron Man came out, I always thought it was overrated. I just, until this day, I don't understand why people hear it. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't think it's bad. No, that's the thing about Jean Favreau. I don't think he makes any bad movies. He's a good filmmaker. Every single film he's done, I thought was good. Even his Lion King movie, although I thought it was unnecessary. I thought it was creatively bankrupt. I thought that it was a taxidermy project, <laughs> a glorified taxidermy project. <laughs> um, that's funny. I, I still, I still thought it was, you know, it was made with care. With, with dignity, uh, it, it, it flowed well. You know, that sort of thing. He makes good movies, but just like, like The Lion King, he plays it safe, leans on nostalgia, on tropes. There's nothing unexpected. So I think that that may be indicative of where Star Wars is going in the future. And to be sincere, that's also who... J.J. Abrams is as a director and a creator, apart at least in movies, um, his stuff on TV has been a little bit more adventurous, uh, and that that's probably where they want to go because of this backlash. They don't want a divided fan base, and you know Disney is all about the moolah. They're all about the almighty dollar. So 
what they're they're not trying to make you know Star Wars films that you know challenge the fans and challenge preconceptions and you know do daring things and make hard lefts and you know go off the rails you know they're interested in making movies that make as much money as possible everybody likes everybody can get their kids to like so the next generation can continue giving them money let me stop myself before i go into my anti-disney i would say real quick that i think the prequels though are exactly like that too I, the, the prequels were basically three cartoons that were in live action and they yeah. were they were basically made to sell toys and stuff like that lucas did try to tell a big story and you know i i think that we're going to get on that in a different pod paul and i but it, it's true I, I think those three they star wars has been doing that since the Return of the Jedi was over. It feels like. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd agree with you to a point on that, Christian. I think uh, you know, without without jumping too much into our pod stuff, uh, I, I think they were aimed at kids and selling toys, but I don't feel like they were generic and and without risk. And that's, I think, the concern with Disney Star Wars is that everything is kind of generic with very limited risk. And, and and you know, I didn't talk about Mandalorian earlier, but I'm I'm not as enthralled with it as as most are. I mean, I I'm still very concerned that we're going to get a lot of filler out of that episode. I mean, I'm I like it enough to keep watching. I'm still looking forward to the episodes each week, but um, that's always a concern with with Filoni for me. And uh, and you combine a safe filmmaker with a guy that likes a lot of filler, and um, that's a recipe for boredom, right? So there is risk, even even though these are these guys are the safe choices. There's a there's a risk of putting audiences to sleep and uh, and losing audiences to boredom too, right? So it's it's all very much up in the air. Well, I I think it's quite interesting also because you know we've had Kathleen Kennedy who has been you know the empress of the Star Wars uh, empire, and now we are going to have a uh, more of a committee, three people obviously. Three means that, you know, there's going to be a tiebreaker and decisions made, that sort of thing. So it's interesting to see that they're no long, that they will no longer be going with just one person and they're going to go with basically a group. Uh, I think it's, it's interesting. I've always found this topic very interesting because um, Disney seems to, you know, be head and shoulders above everyone in terms of all their franchises and having, you know, all the critical acclaim and fan uh, acclaim. But Star Wars is one, it's the only one pretty much that they've had issues with. So it's going to be interesting drama to see how they resolve their issues. If they can quote unquote, write the ship and how things go in the future in terms of their 2022 movie. I do not know who the director is, but I'm betting it's going to be a safe director they have basically finished the Skywalker saga, which is kind of sad to see. And it's very disappointing that I don't think that they're going to finish it on a high note and do it the justice that it deserves. Because, I mean, we've talked about this. I feel like episode nine is going to be a reaction to the backlash to episode eight. And it's going to lack that creative purity, that sort of uh, authenticity. Like, you know, we did this because we wanted to do it. I'm going to feel like they did this because they were forced to do it, whatever the story is. So it's kind of sad to see the Skywalker saga go out on that note. I feel like the new movie is not going to be a Skywalker movie. And... Um... The director is going to be a safe director. Those are my two sort of – that's where I'm hedging my bets. It mm. definitely screams commercial product now more than ever, I would say. And, yeah. And that's that's symptomatic of a lot of Disney things. And uh, sometimes you can block that out and enjoy it anyway. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it really feels like commercial product now. Yeah. Okay. On to the next topic. And this one is a bit of a brighter note. The historic Paris Theater in New York – It's was New York's last surviving silver single screen movie house will remain open. It shuttered its doors earlier this year, but thanks to Netflix, it will remain open. This 581 seat venue opened in September, 1948 and originally specialized in showing French films. The 
theater house had been struggling quite a bit. And uh, it's known as one of the oldest art house theaters in the entire uh, U.S. And people were very sad to see it have to close. However, Netflix swooped in and saved the day. Netflix chief content officer Ted Sarandos, I love you, Ted, says <laughs> in a statement that the company is incredibly proud to preserve this historic New York institution so it can continue to be a cinematic home for film lovers. Christian, Netflix, known as anti-theater, anti-cinema, they're going to, you know, destroy theaters. People are going to stop going to cinemas. Well, in a plot twist, they saved a historic cinema that was, you know, shuttering its doors. Christian, what do you think about this? Uh, I'll start it off by saying I live 10 minutes from New York City. I love this. This is great. Uh, you know, there's an art house cinema in Montclair, New Jersey, that's very close to where I live. And if you didn't go there, there were only a couple places in the city that you could go to. I think we all know like AMC and all those others are kind of gobbling up all those theaters and all you have are the big cinemas and that's it. And there's really no place to see movies like that. I think this is great. I remember an article from Steven Spielberg. They did an interview with him a few years back and he, the man, predicted that the studio system he felt would go down to basically three studios. All the studios, those three, would release tentpole movies and franchise movies. That's all they'd do. And the only way to get to the artsy independent movies would be these little houses, which are going to get gobbled up, he said, or streaming. That was it. And it's pretty interesting. We're, we're kind of going in that direction, aren't we? So yeah. I thought it was pretty fascinating. The guy, he kind of called that not too long ago, and it, we're going there. And there was a lot of fear with Netflix and Hulu and everything that they would be destroying the cinema system. They would be destroying the cinema experience and everything because people would turn around and say, well, I can now spend my entertainment dollars by my $15 a month and I could go watch my movie at home on my 55-inch TV and I can have my family and pause it and go to the bathroom and all this other stuff, right? So that cinematic experience is getting would be getting destroyed. And here's Netflix preserving it. Now, mm -hmm. it's a little self-serving because they're going to be doing their own movies, but who cares? Because what if we're getting a Martin Scorsese Irishman movie that's going to get that's going to get uh, filmed here and, and it's going to get shown? That's great. Now, so it is self-serving because now they give themselves an opportunity to potentially get to the Oscars and the Golden Globes. Um, they have deep pockets, Netflix, but they have theatrical challenges, and that could potentially, I think, dissuade a guy like Scorsese in the future because he might be afraid – I might not be able to work with Netflix and get an award right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe he can. So mm -hmm. I think this is a wonderful thing. I don't want to take anything from either you and Paul, so I'll let you guys go, but I, I think this is great. And uh, it, all the talk that everybody had about Netflix potentially destroying all this, they could have a hand in preserving some of that history mm -hmm. and for the future too. All right, Paul, what do you think? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm probably not as enthused about this as you guys are. I mean, um, I don't live near New York. I mean, I think it's a nice sort of uh, PR move, goodwill gesture. It, uh, you know, it, it it's going to endear them to a uh, to a certain segment of the audience. And I think, from a nostalgic perspective, uh, there's something uh, attractive about the idea of being able to go watch a movie in a uh, in an art house theater. Uh, that said, I, I can't remember the last time I would have seen a movie in anything that would qualify as uh, as an art house theater. Um, you know, it's a neat idea. Does it does it impact me personally? Probably not. So, um, uh, you know, hey, good for them. Um, you know, it's nice to know that the we're not losing that piece of history at least uh, for the time being. And uh, that's that's really all I have to say on it. I know you'll you'll have more uh, more to share and more enthusiasm than, than I will on this one, Lupe. Oh, I def I definitely do. I'm a big fan of movie history. I'm a big fan of history in general. I believe in the cultural value of monuments and historic institutions and what they mean to us, not just on, you know, the surface financial level, but on a, on a deeper, deeper, uh, in a deeper, deeper way. And so when I see historical uh, buildings preserved, when I see monuments preserved it it warms my heart these are very important things and i think the irony here cannot be lost on us netflix is the most technologically advanced uh technologically savvy technologically agile 
studio in Hollywood. They are the uh, they're they've changed the structure of the Hollywood model, and they're seen as these forward thinkers. But they're actually the ones who are saving the most historic and the most traditional parts of Hollywood cinema. Think about it. They're the ones that are pretty much saving indie movies and smaller movies in terms of um, streaming being the way forward for these movies rather than, you know, the blockbuster uh, model that Disney has uh, pursued and other studios are being forced to follow if they are going to compete. Um, and they're furthering that with preserving this theater. So basically this theater is going to be a home for Disney's uh, awards contenders. So in the future, they don't have to negotiate with the big theater chains and negotiate on favorable terms. And the big theater chains are more because they're, I mean, they're corporate bodies. They're obviously concerned with uh, investor returns and Big corporate bodies are, are, are known for that. But smaller chains and smaller venues and smaller businesses have more of a luxury of having these sort of uh, artistic concerns and being able to focus more on quality. Uh, and I think, I think it's just, it's an amazing thing. It's a great thing. And I hope that this Paris theater is not the last one. If this works out, we can see this pop up in, you know, many major cities and this be a uh, model going forward for Netflix. So we can have one in, yeah, we can have That's one in Toronto, we can have one in Chicago, we can have one in, you know, London, Manchester, UK, in LA, in Texas, that sort of thing. I really think that this can be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And I would like, I would very much, very much like to see this be something. Yeah, so, I, I completely agree. I think this is something that hopefully is the start. It's L.A. and New York now, I believe. It's those two. Yeah. So, you know, if this is a success and it doesn't have to be a huge success for it to be a quote unquote success, it just needs to work. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. And if it is, I absolutely think it's a model that they can emulate across and you can then attract some of that Scorsese level talent to Netflix more and more if they feel that the big studio system is not really going to service what they want to do the kind of movies that they want, or some of these art house directors and, and creators, if the big studio system isn't really going to be working for them, well, you know what? Netflix can. And guess what? Now you'll have an opportunity to showcase those movies before they go to streaming and you'll be able to showcase them across the country. And then now you're part of the awards conversation. What does that mean for a young director, a visionary that now could suddenly become part of the Golden Globes or Oscar con uh, conversation? That can mean a ton. So I just think it's incredible. You take a look at some of the artists that have come out over the years because of those little films. Think about mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I, I, th I think it can really work because one reason why these sort of smaller the independent theaters don't have as much success is because the films that they show don't get the level of marketing that huge right. blockbusters do. Right. And so that's why you don't get, you know, people flocking and, you know, fill in their their coffers except if it's you know a movie that has huge awards you know contention but usually mm -hmm. those come from big studios who also give it that push so netflix is a studio that although they don't invest as much in marketing as the biggest studios do that's part of their model and why they're able to uh fund so much and take so much risk because it doesn't spend as much marketing they still spend more on marketing than the smaller films so you're going to get a happy medium where, for example, The Irishman, for example, uh, Michael Bay's Six Underground. These are all movies that they can show in this sort of select venues for a short amount of time. And I can see in the future the biggest filmmakers being able to negotiate, you know, someone like Zack Snyder may be able to negotiate that his upcoming Netflix film Army of the Dead gets a three-week run in their uh, right. independent theaters and so 
they don't have to feel that they're making movies for the small screen. They can still make it with these epic cinematic uh, visions. And at the same time, Netflix can still get, you know, content on their streaming platform. I think that if they play their cards right, and they have been, I think this can really be good just all the way around for everyone involved. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, now let's go on to some really cool, interesting news. Ben Affleck, quadruple threat filmmaker. He is an Academy Award winning screenwriter, Academy Award winning director. He's an Academy Award nominated winning actor, uh, producer as well. His next film project is going to be about King Leopold III. And it's inspired by Adam Hochschild's best-selling book about Leopold III of Belgium's plunder of the Congo and how Congolese people defied him and fought back. And the struggle uh, sparked an alliance between an African-American missionary and an English investigative journalist and an African spy and the took these iconic pictures that you can find online and it resulted in one of the first modern day human rights movements. Uh, the book's title is The Ghost of King Leopold. And Christian, when you hear about this, what mm. thoughts come to mind? There, there's a lot of good to break down here, especially when you take a look at uh, what you were just talking about with the history. It's a lot of positive history. So there's a lot of great things to break down here. I'm happy that they're making a movie about this. I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a hot take <laughs> for me. Uh, I think that Ben Affleck is, when he's an actor, is at his best when he's acting like Ben Affleck. You know what I'm saying? So when, when Ben is being Ben, that's when he is at his best. When he's behind the camera, and he is a director, he's a producer, he's a writer. I think he's heads and tails above what he is as an actor. Mm. I love him as a director and as a creator. Argo and the town are fantastic. Mm. Oh my God, they're so good. Have you seen, have you seen Live by Night? Oh, it is it, an underrated movie. Uh, it bombed. Underrated. It, it shouldn't underrated. have bombed. It shouldn't have. And you know what? One of the things that I, I really was so upset about during the tour for that movie, every time the poor guy did an interview, what was the first question? So Batman. when's the next Batman movie? Right, right. They beat him across. You're 100% correct. They beat him across the face with it. And these are the kind of movies, in my opinion. Now, this is just me. I think that he wants to do these. He's passionate about these. Not that he wasn't passionate about being Batman. And he didn't like working with Snyder. That's not the point. That's not it. I don't think that's it. What I think it was is the media insanity. Yeah. And superhero insanity that surrounds mm -hmm. DC, Marvel, and everything else. That's not what he wants to do. This is what he wants to do. Yeah. And and you you pointed out uh, before we started recording that he is a co-founder of uh, is it the Eastern Congo Initiative? Yeah. So which was launched back in 2010. It's an advocacy and grant making initiative for the people of the Eastern Congo. So this is something that really means something to him. I I can't help but be happy for him his past struggles with his you know his personal life and everything like that uh, I, I just like to see him when he's a director and a writer as opposed to just a straight up actor so you know me in history you know where i'm going with this <laughs> totally so i'm totally open for this and, and i really feel good for the guy i do nice uh paul what do you think yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, I'll admit this isn't something I was at all aware of um, from either a historical uh, perspective or uh, from the perspective of the book. Um, so I, this is brand new to me. Uh, reading up on it, though, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that I, I didn't know about this. Um, and this is the kind of movie that um, that I like, a historical a movie based on um, some some historical truth that uh, can inspire you to to learn more about the the actual events. And I think the um, you know as Christian pointed out, I think Affleck's great as a director. Uh, I like him as an actor, but I, I can certainly appreciate the the point Christian's making. Um, so I'm I'm pretty excited for this one. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, just to dovetail off both of y'all's comments, uh, Christian, you mentioned about how. Uh, these are the type of movies that, you know, he is best at making and the type of movies he wants to make. And you're you're completely right. Mm -hmm. When uh, Ben Affleck signed on to do Batman, 
Zack Snyder convinced him of a more dramatic, more cinema, real cinema-inspired sort of uh, superhero story. It wasn't going to be anything in the Marvel mode. It wasn't going to be, you know, hope and optimism and jokes. And it was going to be, you know, really dramatic, adult, mature. And that's what Batman v Superman was in the vein of and went where they planned on going with Justice League and his Batman. And then you had, you know, the whole media fiasco of oh Zack Snyder's films are not happy not smiling enough it's too dark your heroes are supposed to you know inspire and be you know light-hearted and all that stuff and that's not what Ben Affleck signed up for and that's one of the reasons I'm very sure it's one of the reasons why he left because you had a Justice League movie in which he was making corny jokes Ben Affleck is an awards-winning <laughs> director like this is a guy who you know is a serious filmmaker and you have him making jokes about like breaking bones and us, this is going to hurt later kind of weird stuff. So I'm really happy to see him, you know, free of the, of the chains of where superhero movies are right now. Personally, I'm, I'm quite disappointed in where they are confined in. Not that I don't like all of them, but just the confines and obviously we had Joker, which breaks out a little bit, so that's good. But to stay on topic, I'm happy that he's making uh, The Way Back, which we talked about last week on ENN, mm-hmm. that sort of film. And then this is another one. And these are two things that are close to his heart. As we said, The Way Back is about alcoholism. He, he's dealt with alcoholism. And this is about a uh, history of uh, the, the Congo. And he has been working diligently and very hard in that region for you know almost a decade now i'm really excited for this one because king leopold ii is one of those historical figures that people should know more about like when people say they don't know him, i'm like if you know if you think hitler is bad <laughs> this dude was <laughs> this dude was he was a sadist this dude is a devil was a devil incarnate so in terms of figures, it's estimated that he slaughtered about 10 million oh dear God. Congolese people. And that was half of their population. Terrible. So basically think of a, wherever, like an entire population and just killing half. And he did it over resources and he did it under the shroud of uh, spreading Christianity. Awesome. And the terrain for the Congo was so jungle dense and so inhospitable and so hard to navigate that a lot of uh, outsiders didn't have access to the region. So he controlled the the narrative, but obviously reports were slipping out. And so the story is that th- these three figures uh, were able to get pictures out and they showed how uh, Leopold was ruling the region with sadistic psychopathy. Like, they they were cutting people's limbs. Like, you know, if you didn't meet quotas for mining, they'd cut off your limbs. Like, without, without, it it wasn't, you know, like, uh, if you do it three times, then, you know, we'll cut off a limb, which is crazy. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> they'll do it immediately like or they'll cut off your children's limbs uh, so, I mean like see, that's yeah. that's it, one it, of the it, things too and I apologize for interrupting you that's one of the things ahead. that's very uh, don't lose your thought that's one of the things that can be very good about movies like this too mm-hmm. you know with him being as passionate as he is about it you know he's going to give it the care that it deserves and hopefully A you represent the story in the way that you're telling it right now these atrocities right so you represent it and B it, it sparks people to start doing some searches and things like that at, after it's over and start educating themselves a little bit. And so things like this don't happen again, you know, yeah. That, yeah. and that, that, that's the truth. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm very excited about this. Uh, obviously, um, as a black man, I'm very interested in, you know, African history, African-American mm-hmm. history. And we've had a lot of really great African-American history movies. And I'm glad that, you know, He's going to helm one on African history and uh, 
interestingly, if he didn't do it, I'm not sure who else would have. I'm just I'm just glad that that story is going to be out there because I think it's a part of history that's unpleasant, but we need we need to learn from so that we know where we don't repeat the history. I know a lot of people think that stuff like this can't be repeated, but trust oh, me, if you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't read the signs very quickly, stuff like this can happen. So absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited to see it, and he's a capable filmmaker. It's This is Oscar bait, like pretty much Oscar bait. So we'll see, we'll see where it goes. And now we go to our coming soon section. And we have three trailers to talk about. The first one that we're going to talk about is The Last Full Measure. And I know like we're all excited to talk about this one. So um, without further ado, it's directed by Tim Robinson. It has an all-star cast. It's got Samuel L. Jackson, Sebastian Stan, Christopher Plummer, Ed Harris, Willem Hurt. And Christian, why don't you lead us in? Tell us about the synopsis and what you think about, about the trailer. Oh, dude, th- this trailer was intense. It was intense. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the the brutal action, um, it hits you in the feels. There's a couple of moments where the father of uh, the gentleman that they're doing the investigation on and whether or not they're going to give him the Medal of Honor for what, what happens during uh, that particular battle in the Vietnam War, basically is saying, just do my son justice. Just do him mm-hmm. justice. Um, there's a, a quick moment where Christopher Plummer, who plays the dad, I guess, doesn't he say something along the lines of, I'm, you know, he's dying, he's an old man. I'm not afraid to die. Losing your child is worse. Yeah. And it, it just, it feels so brutal. Um, mm-hmm. Vietnam is a dark time in our history as, uh, you know, as a citizen in the United States. It's uh, when you go back into it, it's the first war that you take a look at that we really made stupid yeah. decisions. Stupid decisions, yeah. Stupid decisions. And uh, it's, it's the war that arguably we lost. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, it's, it's it, we did lose it. How? I mean, what what did we gain with all the death? And it was for a while, Vietnam was a very common subject. I think if you look back in the day, uh, you know, especially uh, my father's generation before him, you know, before me, it was a little bit more of a common subject. And it felt like I think people were a little bit more, they talked about it more. It was in movies more and it kind of disappeared for a little while. We, World War II made a comeback, right? So we had some World War II movies and everything that came out. It's really interesting to see this now. uh, And they're going to be treating it very seriously. Uh, There's a lot of conversations here about heroism. And sacrifice. The cast is out of control with Samuel L. Jackson mm. and Ed Harris, William Hurt, Christopher Plummer, Peter Fonda was in. I guess that's his final role, right? It, it, it's really, and, and of course, uh, Sebastian Stan. I guess is the uh, is the star. So this caught me immediately when you sent me the trailer and said, "Chris and Paul, you guys got to watch this thing." I was caught immediately. Out of the three trailers that we're going to review tonight, this is the one I want to see the most. Thanks. This, yeah, this hit me, and I, I really want to see this. Paul, what do you have to say? Uh, you know, I, I'm as you know, as you guys stated, I'm I'm excited about this as well. I think it looks really good. Um, you know, I don't know much about the director, uh, Todd uh, Todd Robinson, oh, yeah. I believe it is. Yeah, I'm not I'm not familiar with really anything that he's worked on before, but uh, but from the trailer, uh, it looks good to me. It looks like a compelling story. Um, you know, I don't know if we want to. Uh, I hesitate to, to get into spoilers, even though they're in the trailer. I mean, they, I guess it's just the plot synopsis. I mean, the fact that it's it's a, uh, it's, a his, it's it's based on true events, so you know it's all out there. F- fair enough, yeah. So so you know we're looking at a, an investigation thirty plus years after the fact of a of a cover up uh, for for a guy that uh, put his life on the line to save others and was never um, uh, credited for it in the, in the sense that he was denied a medal. And uh, so it it you know it. It looks like a compelling emotional story, and uh, the trailer worked. I, it's it's got my attention, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. So as I said, for me, the most exhilarating, intense, exciting, incredible trailer of the week. I can't wait for this one to come out. And I think what's really amazing about the structure of it is, so you could tell the story from the events that happened on the ground. And just set it in the Vietnam War, set it uh, in the in the trenches, set it, you know, in the battle. Or you could set it in the modern day and just stick to the investigation. But what they've done is that they're going back and forth. So you're getting like 
double <laughs> double the excitement. So I don't know how my nerves are gonna are gonna handle this one. It looks like there is a lot of like political intrigue. There's a cover up. The guy who's investigating it, he's in a lot of danger. And then you have the war setting in which you know the hero is in a lot of danger, and you know the troops are in danger. So it's just it looks really it looks like they found the perfect way to dramatize this story and I, i'm very excited on a funny note uh one of my friends was talking about how like you know like the avengers are like all making movies like together and just like making a joke about how you know samuel l he's in another movie with uh with the guy who plays falcon what's his name again anthony mackie right with anthony mackie yes and now you know He's in another movie with the guy who plays uh, the Winter Soldier. But then, you know what I figured out? It's not an Avengers thing. It's that Samuel L. Jackson is in every single movie. He's in every movie. He's, He's just in every, <laughs> in every movie out there. <laughs> so he's they... going to come into contact with Avengers. It's not because of an Avengers thing. That guy, that guy, honestly, that guy needs to realize that other people need to work in Hollywood, and not just him. He loves a paycheck, and he's not uh, he's not concerned about sharing with anyone else. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> but he, he's he, obviously he's a he's a great actor, um, and we can't yes. get enough of him. Yes. So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to to seeing this one. Uh, so next trailer that we should react to is. Uh, the Mysterious Antebellum trailer is directed by Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz, and it stars Janelle Monet. So, guys, this one is more of a teaser, and it's pretty strange. Uh, Christian, what do you think about Antebellum starring Janelle Monet? I, I gotta be honest, I don't know what I thought about it. I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, and maybe that's the point of the teaser, right? That you kind of don't really know what's going on. I, I had to really quickly take a look at the very brief synopsis that's out there on the internet. Um, apparently a successful author, uh, quote unquote, finds herself trapped in a horrifying reality and must uncover the mind bending mystery before it's too late. Uh, the trailer definitely is a bit mind bending. It bounces from mm -hmm. the antebellum South and the civil war to a more contemporary kind of hotel ish, I think thing mm -hmm. going on. And you got the little girl with the little ghost girl kind of creepy, but, and, and there was that really interesting moment where they're in the civil war South and an airplane goes overhead. So mm -hmm. I, I'll give it to you this way. I'll end it on this. It caught my attention, but I have no freaking idea how I even feel about this thing yet. I have, I have no clue. So I, I just want to learn more about it before I even make a call. It, it, it piqued my interest, but I have no clue what's going on. Paul, what do you think? I, you know, I don't have a lot to add. I mean, it's it's a short trailer. It's a minute long. Uh, I think Christian covered the key points. It's it's enough to, to pique my interest, I guess, but uh, it's probably not enough to bring me out to the theater. This is the kind of thing where, uh, at least based on what we've seen so far, um, if I saw this thing on streaming uh, and I was in the mood for that type of movie, yeah, I might, I might be interested in watching it. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't know what it would take for something in this genre to, to drag me out to the theater these days, but um, it looks interesting, but I'll reserve judgment until we, we know a little more about it. And uh, I guess the only caveat to that would be with this type of movie, you don't really want to know too much. Cause I suspect the, uh, the part of the, the enjoyment of the experience is, is probably the twist. So uh, I'm, they're a little handcuffed in what they can in what they can show you, but um, it, it's it's enough to make me watch it, um, uh, but not enough probably to drag me out to the theater to to, to see it. Yeah, I'll I'll meet you halfway on that. I'll say <laughs> this: it uh, it looks interesting. It looks beautifully shot. It looks yeah, like it it's look shot nice. with an expert hand. Uh, as Christian said. It has those vibes of, you know, having, you know, some, you know, racial undertones, like it might be a bit of a racial horror movie. And that's interesting. I think them doing the juxtaposition and the parallels with uh, Southern uh, Civil War era, slave era um, horrors, I think that could be a very interesting plot device if it's used very well 
I personally hope that it's more like Get Out than an A24 movie, and it looks like an A24 movie. And if you don't know what an A24 movie is, an A24, they're this uh, studio that make these very weird indie films. They made Midsommar. They made Hereditary. They made The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And their movies are more metaphors than they are narrative films. And they're very, very well made. And they are usually layered and there's a lot to discuss and, you know, there's a lot you know, to talk about with them. But I feel like sometimes they miss that sweet spot of that get out hit where you have, you know, a narrative film and then it has the layers to it. They tend to focus more on the later, the layers, the metaphors and the themes than the narrative. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that it is more along the lines of get out. Although from the trailer, which seemed like really weird, it seems like it's more like an A24 movie. But I'm going to rely on what uh, my trusted film exiles think. I'm sure one of us is going to see it uh, or, you know, hear about it. And if one of y'all says, you know what, that's actually like really good. Go see it. Then I will. But um, my interest is peaked. You, you, you had my curiosity. Now you have my interest. Janelle Monet. She's a she's an up and coming actress. Um, she is someone who was a musician who I absolutely loved. I loved her music, but she's now focusing more on acting. And she's a decent actress. I wish her the best, and we'll see how it goes. But on the surface, it looks beautifully shot. I can say that for sure. I don't know what the hell is going on, but <laughs> it's going to be a feast for my eyes. Okay. So uh, the last trailer we're going to talk about is Call of the Wild, directed by Chris Sanders and starring Harrison Ford. And it's an adaptation of a novel. And it's this epic sort of Americana tale about this, the adventure of a dog. And uh, Christian, what do you think of Call of the Wild? Well, you know, Harrison Ford's definitely gotten to a point in his career now where he can just do whatever the hell he wants, right? I mean, he can can basically pick any role he wants. He doesn't have to worry about a thing. So if this is a project that he really wanted to go with, I say go for it. Uh, We saw the trailer this past weekend when we went to go see Ford versus Ferrari, actually. So that was the – I got a chance to see the trailer on the big screen. I'm not really excited by this one, I got to admit. Look, it's big. It's luscious. There's mm-hmm. wonderful action shots. You get to see the dog jumping around and saving people. And there's it's trying to hit you in the feels. It seems like it's trying to hit every little, you know, people that like adventure movies, people that like animals, people that like heart movies, you know, things like that. It seems like it's trying to hit every single one of those. I was very distracted by the CGI dog. <laughs> I, admit, I was really distracted by it. So uh, it looks like it's a good movie, but... For me, I don't think I'm going to be going out in the theaters to see this. I hope the movie does well just because I love Harrison Ford, and this is the kind of movie that I just kind of hope does well. It just really didn't do it for me. I'll probably catch it on streaming later on. Paul, what's your reaction to Call of the Wild trailer? Well, I spent most of that trailer trying to figure out who the target audience for this movie is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I thought, is this something I would go watch on my own? Not really. There, there's some elements I, I'm interested in, I guess. The adventure is uh, is interesting to me, but I, there was something about it that just isn't, you know, maybe it's the sort of almost the cartoonishness of the uh, photorealistic CGI dog. And uh, I, 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 as I was saying to you guys beforehand, it almost seems to me like this is a response to people that said the, the Lion King's photorealism didn't emote enough. I feel like this is emoting cartoonishly in a photorealistic dog, which really was off-putting. Uh, and then I thought, well, is this a movie for for my daughter? Uh, she, you know, she loves dogs too. Is this something she'd want to see? And and no, I, it's maybe a little too intense for her. She'd be worried about the dog. And and you know, I'm I'm even wondering, you know, is this is this going to end well for the dog? By the time you you see all these fantastical things that the dog's doing, that also helps. Um, sort of take away the uh, the suspension of disbelief, right? Some of what you see the dog doing is a little ridiculous and unbelievable. So um, like Christian said, it's a mishmash of, of a bit of everything, um, probably trying to broaden its appeal to the widest audience. And, and I think maybe it's, it's going to lose its audience entirely because it doesn't know who it's aiming for. Um, so I guess that's, that's my thought on it. And um, 
you know, will I watch this? Who knows? Uh, probably won't get my money at the theater. Um, will I watch it if it's on streaming? Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. All right. I, I think you hidden very salient points. For me, I felt like where the mishmash, you know, happens is that the dog is very cartoony, very CGI, utterly ridiculous. And the movie around it is quite epic, quite uh, exhilarating and exciting. And, you know, I really think that the film around the ridiculous dog is really good. And it's just a clash that I think doesn't work at all. And looking at the dog and looking at the fantastical things it's doing, I feel that they would have been better served to use a real life dog. Because it's not really doing anything that is that they can't tone down a little bit and still tell the story that they wanted to, at least in my opinion from the trailer that I saw. I just think that the CGI dog is really distracting. It's really off-putting. It really is. It's, it's, it's just it's a tragic disaster because the rest of the film looks really good. <laughs> it looks really good. The trailer's cut well. The music is good. Obviously, Harrison Ford, living legend and icon in the flesh. Um, but it's just, it's a mishmash of things that aren't working well together. And as Paul said, I think in trying to gain the widest, widest audience possible, they're going to lose the audience that they potentially could have had. And that wraps up our Thanksgiving edition of ENN. I hope you guys had fun listening to us. I sure did have fun talking about these topics. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure on this episode with you guys. I'm looking forward to talking again next week. So before we go, could you let the good people out there know where they can find you? Christian, where can we find you to talk movies with you? Absolutely. It was good being here with you guys tonight. If anybody out there wants to yell at me about my movie opinions, you can reach out to me on Twitter at uh, chart6363. And Paul, where can yeah. we find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter as well uh, at underscore Paul underscore P. And uh, enjoyed it again, guys. Looking forward to next week. Absolutely. And for the film exiles, my name is Lupe. I can be found at live love Lupe. And till next time, stay exiled.